You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. This is a two-part series on our new mission statement. Um, so just, just a few words on, I guess, our initial, our original mission statement. Um, now that we're just scrapping that, but I guess we are scrapping that. <laughs> so that was, this is going back three years ago before we even launched our Sunday services. And we just feel, so it was live for more. For those of you that don't know, live for more. We thought that it was a little bit vague and um, unclear, imprecise. And, and so what we um, said, you know, with the elders, let's just start praying and, and talking about, and just kind of picking and, and constructing another mission statement that is, first of all, biblical something that is biblical and it just really stands out it's okay this is this is here you know and then something that can we can get behind something that describes us as well so we came up with and I'll, i guess i'll i'll uh, i'll just say it to you now and and obviously through these sermons you're gonna get i hope that by the end of next sunday you will you have memorized it and for good for the rest of your life so here we go to pursue the high call of knowing Jesus Christ and proclaiming his kingdom. Um, and, and just a quick overview of where we're going today. There are kind of like two parts to my message. Uh, I will make a long introduction just to kind of, uh, just with some foundational things about knowing God. So two main parts, knowing God and proclaiming the kingdom. Uh, that's Lucas's job for next week, proclaiming his kingdom. So yeah, so two parts for today, a, a long introduction. And then we're going to unpack Philippians chapter three, verses 10 and 11. And we're getting, we're going to get into specifics or the mechanism of what it means to know God. So it's still going to be, it's not going to be a topical sermon, or at least half of it is going to be verse by verse, because I want to unpack this Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. So let me just, would you stand with me? I'd like to read these two verses and pray and um, get to work. So Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. This was very, uh, just such an important passage Uh, as we were just praying through this new mission statement. And it says, and the word of God says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful word. We thank you for our new mission statement, Father. Would you please help us as a church to really get behind it? Get behind, Lord God, this goal that we have as Christians to know you. Father, I pray that uh, today you would um, just help us focus on you and you alone. And I pray for those of us that are not here, Father, that, that they would get a chance to listen to this message, Father, not, not because I'm preaching, but because your, your, your word is being preached. And Lord God, I just ask, as I always ask, that you would bear fruit in our hearts, Holy Spirit, um, with this word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'll read that again, that those two verses. Absolutely. I love these two verses. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Someone has wisely pointed out that one of the most dangerous forms of human error is forgetting what one is trying to achieve. That is especially true, I believe, in our Christian life, isn't it? 
we, it's so easy to get sidetracked. Uh, and the truth is that we need to be clear and, 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 and focused at all times on what we're after. So let me ask, what is it that you're after? What is the goal in your Christian life? What are you going after? Or, or what, is, what is the goal of the Christian life in general? What is it? How would you answer that? Is it to make it to church on time every Sunday? That's a good thing, right? Is it to provide for our kids a great Christian education? Well, that's a good thing too. But is that the ultimate goal? And we can ask the question, this question um, this way as well. What is the ultimate goal or mission of our church, of Summit Church? Because let me tell you, if we forget what we're after, if we forget our main goal here, if our main goal is not at the forefront of who we are and what we do on a daily basis, we're definitely not going to accomplish it or complete it. Now, we can say it in a few different ways, but the two verses that we're going to look at in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, Apostle Paul nicely sums up what we're supposed to be aiming at. Apostle Paul nicely sums up what we're, we're supposed to go after and focus with, with all we've got. And this is why this passage was so important in praying and navigating with the elders through uh, our new mission statement. So, so here it is. This ultimate goal, Apostle Paul says that the goal of the Christian life is to what? To know him, to know Jesus Christ. And then we came to the conclusion and said, hey, this should be our goal too. <laughs> so this would be a good time maybe to, to again say our mission statement um, in, I guess, let's make it official. <laughs> to pursue the high call of knowing Jesus Christ and to proclaim in proclaiming his kingdom. You will notice immediately three main parts to it. There's a high call, right? There's a high call, a high call that we ought to pursue. And, and this high call is twofold. The high call to, you know, knowing Jesus Christ and the high call of proclaiming his kingdom. Now, why is it a high call to know Jesus Christ? Why, why is it? Why are we going after this? And by the way, the high call alludes to the name Summit uh, or appoints to the name of our church Summit because Summit means the topmost level attainable, the apex, the highest point on a mountain. So what we're saying is that knowing God, to pursue knowing Jesus Christ is the topmost level attainable, the apex, the highest point in our existence here on earth. There isn't a higher calling than to know Jesus Christ. There isn't a greater pursuit than to know Jesus Christ. This is it. This is the highest point. And the same goes for proclaiming his kingdom, but that's something that Lucas will look at next Sunday. So today I wanna to talk about this pursuit, this high call, this summit of knowing Jesus Christ. If we ever get lost in the weeds of secondary issues, how to be relevant to the world, in, in forms and styles of worship, if we're gonna pray this way and know this way, if we miss the target on pursuing this goal to know Jesus, we stop, we reassess, and we get back to this quickly, humbly, and repentantly, amen? What would you say if you and your wife or you and a friend, if you're not married, uh, were flown at the speed of light for a couple of hours around the sun in the solar system? Just, just play along, please. What would you say? 
And instead of looking out the window and taking all that in, like, wow, what is this? What a unique opportunity to see the sun and the solar system. And instead of looking out the window, your wife or your friend was just scrolling on their phone. What would you say to that? Yeah, stop. <laughs> At least that. <laughs> that would be really shocking and frustrating. But we are just like the wife or the friend in that analogy. We don't realize, right, what's, that what's on the other, what's outside the window is far more captivating than her phone, than the friend's phone, right? Isn't it shocking how little effort in this world is put into knowing God? So shocking. Why would that be shocking? Well, because God is the most important, most interesting, and most fascinating, most beautiful, glorious, marvelous, spectacular, amazing, stunning, awe-inspiring, fearsome, formidable person who exists by a long shot, actually by an infinite shot. God says in Job 36, 26, behold, God is great and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Do you know that God is the most important person who exists by an infinite shot? And this is because he created all of us. He created, he made all others and any importance they have is owing to him. Any strength or intelligence or beauty or talent or skill that other beings have come, they have come to it because of him on every scale of excellence. He's infinitely greater than the best person you ever knew or ever heard of. God being infinite, he's inexhaustibly interesting and fascinating. It is impossible, therefore, that God is boring. The theologian said it like this, his continual demonstration of the most intelligent and interesting actions is volcanic. In addition, as the source of every good pleasure, he himself pleases fully and finally. So no sin, not sin, not your dreams, not any pleasure that your mind can conjure up comes even close to fully satisfying you or fulfilling you, but God. And someone said it like this, if that's not how we experience him, we are either dead, blind, or sleepwalking. So again, it, it's shocking it, and astonishing and frustrating how little effort we put into knowing God because when he is the great I am, and truly my prayer, my prayer is that our infinitely great God would incline each of our hearts here at Summit and open our eyes to see him fully as we can, as fully as we can and pursue and seek to know him more. Church, I fully stand behind this new mission statement that we exist to pursue this high call of knowing Jesus Christ and proclaiming his kingdom. So again, the goal of the Christian life, the summit of the Christian life is to know Jesus Christ, this is it. So this is the first main point that we're going to look at today. The first, we're going to have a few. This is the first one that we're going, to, we're going to make today. The goal of the Christian life is knowing Jesus Christ. And so that's why uh, it became one of the two main pursuits in our mission statement to know him. So allow me a finite forgiven sinner 
just like you, to unpack what it means to know this infinite God in the next 35 minutes. Yeah. If you didn't know, Christianity is definitely not religion of rules and rituals. It's not. People seem to be confused about this. <laughs> and, and they fall for this all the time, that we must work and obey the rules and, and, and in order to climb this ladder to, to heaven and to God. And No, no, it's nothing like that. This is what Christianity is about. Christianity is a personal growing relationship with the risen living Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And this is where knowing him comes in, having a relationship with him, a relationship that results in our growing obedience, a relationship that that results in us becoming more like him. Our goal is to pursue this high call of knowing him and then inevitably we will become more like him. And then inevitably, we will proclaim him and his kingdom. Jesus said the same thing in, in uh, John 17, three, when he prayed. And actually, even this, we looked at this verse as well when we were going through, through uh, just putting together this mission statement. Uh, so John 17, three, this is Jesus saying, praying, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you. They may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Wow. So let me just state the obvious, because I feel like the obvious needs to be stated in our modern Christianity quite often, because we get so focused, so sidetracked on so many secondary issues, and we lose track of what's most important. Christianity is primarily a growing relationship with the infinite God who has revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. As with all relationships, and you know, and I know, and this is the second point that we want to make this morning, that knowing God, knowing God begins with an initial meeting, an initial introduction, and that goes for all relationships, and you and I know that. In Paul's case, because he wrote Philippians, in Paul's case, it was not a planned or polite introduction, not at all. (laughs) I mean, at least from his point of view. He wasn't seeking after Christ. He wasn't like, man, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to see what these followers of Jesus are all about. I want to look into it and, you know, who knows? I want to be a follower myself. No, no, no. He wasn't pursuing Jesus. Far from that. But this is what Acts 9-1 says about Paul. Breathing threats and murder. That's what he was about. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest men and women who were followers of Jesus. When suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Paul met the risen Lord Jesus Christ because there needs to be a meeting. If we went around the room and asked husbands and wives to tell, you know, how they met their spouses, their spouse, we would probably hear many different stories. Some of us would say that we met our spouse as teenagers. Others were further along in life. And for some, it was love at first sight. Others, a long friendship led to romance and marriage. But for everyone, and here's the point, for everyone, you began a relationship, a personal relationship with your spouse. And because of it, your life took a new direction that it never would have taken if you had not met, right? It's the same with your relationship, with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Your introduction to the Lord Jesus may have been far different than Paul's, 
far different. It may have, you may have met Christ as a young child. Maybe for a lot of us, that was the case because you grew up in a Christian home. Or you may have met him later in life. It may have been a, a painful and traumatic situation where in moment, a moment of crisis, you, you called out to God and he revealed himself to you and he saved you. It may have been less dramatic so that you can't even recall the exact time and place, right? Maybe there's a few of us like that. But one thing is certain. If you are truly a Christian, you know Jesus Christ personally. Why? Because at one point in your life, you met him personally. You don't just know about him all of a sudden. You had an introduction and a meeting with him. Now, this meeting that I'm talking about, that introduction, the Bible calls it what? Being brought from death to life or your conversion, or the new birth, you're, you're born again, or, or, or you know, your spirit was quickened, or the eyes of your heart was being opened, etc. We have a few expressions in God's word for this introduction. Now, becoming a Christian requires that you know some things about Jesus Christ, doesn't it? You need to know who he claimed to be, eternal God in human flesh. We can't just go after our feelings, right? Oh, I feel this way. Well, that's, that's not the gospel, right? <laughs> we got to know some, some specific things. You must know some of the things he did and he taught. You need to understand that he died on the cross for your sins and he was raised bodily from the dead. Otherwise, you believe in a different God. But beyond these facts, my point is, you need to know Christ personally. And that knowing starts with an initial meeting. It's the supernatural new birth that the Holy Spirit does in us. You are born again in the family of God. And here's what is clear as day in God's word about our initial meeting with Christ, the new birth. This relationship begins at the moment you recognize that your sins have separated you from God the Father and that you need a savior. That's when it starts. And that you also realize that you cannot save yourself from God's judgment through your efforts or through your good works. And that you need to let go of all human merit and you call upon the Lord to be merciful to you based on the merit of Jesus' death and, and sacrifice on the cross. Amen? And, and at that point, your object of, of trust for commanding yourself to God moves from self to Christ. And now you're saved and you have met Jesus Christ personally. You are born again. You came from death to life. And just like any other relationship, and once, once you've met the other person, once you were introduced, you have to cultivate that relationship now. So the third point that we want to make today is this. Knowing God requires us to cultivate this relationship. Are you cultivating this relationship? Because that's what it means to know him. If you meet a girl, the girl of your dreams, let's say, and if you, if you just go, with her, go out with her just once, you never you know, take her on a date, but that relationship is going nowhere, that's for sure. The idea here is that you have to spend time together getting to know one another, through conversation and shared experiences, you have to learn about their history, right? What, what her family, her likes, her dislikes, right? Her values, hopes, and future. If you do something to offend her, guess what? You ask her forgiveness and you learn to work through difficulties. That's a relationship. That's how they work. 
in the realities that we would never think otherwise in our relationship, in our marriage. We would never think otherwise, right? But how much more in a personal relationship with Christ? It requires cultivation. And guess what? That requires time. It never ceases to amaze me how a couple, before they meet each other, can be extremely busy. But when they meet and things click between them, suddenly they they have all the time in the world to hang out on a regular basis. How does that work? I was just asking Emma the same thing. Hey, babe, what were we doing before kids? (laughs) Where would all that time go? Like, seriously. (laughs) I guess it was a wasted time, maybe. I don't know. So, So then let me ask this question. How often do you make time to spend with the Lord? It's sure easy for that first love to cool off, isn't it? And time between you and the Lord gets squeezed out with other things. I need to watch my show. I need to take the kids to the soccer practice. I'm so busy now. And what happens is our quiet time, our spending time with the Lord becomes only out of duty. So, so you get out of your Bible, but it takes so long to get through a, even a small passage and it feels so boring, but you try to white knuckle it because you were taught that one chapter a day keeps the Satan, keeps the devil away or whatever. So you just go through the motions, but there wasn't any love in it. There wasn't any heat in the affections of your heart. Your devotions were not stirred in your heart. You weren't seeking to know Christ in a more intimate way. You weren't opening your heart to him so that he could, what, confront you and convict you so that he would cleanse you to make you more like himself. There's no closeness, no intimacy, no communion with him. I hope that this message is encouraging, that it wouldn't just pound you even more into whatever, depression, and this is meant to be encouraging. The reality is that we can never know him fully because he is infinite and we are finite, right? But we can know him definitely as Savior and Lord, and we can and, we can and must spend our lives focused on this great goal, to know him. But church, it will not happen if we aren't committed to becoming men and women of the word. It will not, this will not happen if we're not committed to become men and women of prayer. It will not happen. So church, if we're going to be effective in knowing God, in fellowshipping with God, we have to develop certain habits. We have to do certain things over and over again. That is something that we call daily devotions, or you may call it your quiet time, whatever you want to call it. I think you know what I'm trying to say. And the awesome part is that, that our spending time with God, this is such a cool thing, that God will speak to us out of that time. Out of that time spent with him, God shows up. Out of spending time with God, God will lead you and give you direction. Out of spending time with God, God will transform and mold your heart. He will lead you. He will give you peace and joy. So if that's the case, if we're going to be effective in the pursuit of knowing God, then we have to do some things over and over again. So I want to give us three tips, really quick tips on on when it comes to our devotions, daily devotions that have really helped me. And the first one is this, you got to make it a habit. Just we got to make it a habit. You you can't just be, well, I'll see tomorrow. I'll see if I'm going to get to it. That, That will never happen. So make it a habit. One of the most important things is that we need to take our quiet time or devotions and make it a habit. What did Jesus do to, you know, when it comes to this, to this matter? 
Well, Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says that, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom to go and to pray with the father. That was his custom. And this was Jesus we're talking about. The Lord made it a habit to spend time with the father. Do you know that we, we can celebrate God in a crowd, but we can only know God one-on-one? Then we need to develop a habit of coming to him one-on-one. Knowing God cannot be learned in a classroom or out of a book. Sure, there's a knowledge of him, sure. But only earned by being in his word and being in prayer. Knowing God is not learned in the pew of the church, although it helps showing up to church every Sunday, but in the secret prayer closet of your home. So you need to decide. I need to decide when is the best time for me to just spend time with God in prayer and in the word reading the Bible and journaling what he's saying to us through the Bible. God is speaking to us through the Bible. Did you, did you know that? Write down what he's saying to you. He'll highlight different things, different passages, different days. Now, let me ask you this question. When is the best time for you to meet with God? So make it a habit. And the second thing is when you are at your best, that's the best time to meet with him. Is your best in the evening? Give him the evening. My best time is in the morning. I'm fresh. I'm, that's when my brain is functioning fully. That's what I need to do to give him out of that time. God deserves the best part of my day, the best part of your day. Not the leftovers when I'm tired and I'm ah reading. Oh, this is so boring again. Do I really have to read this now? Reading the Bible is not boring. It feels and it seems boring because I never got the taste of really personally knowing to to know God and because I'm always tired when I do it because I always do it as a leftover kind of thing. I'll just add it to my schedule. But God deserves the best part of my day and your day and not not only the best part of your day, but he deserves our best every single day. So make it a habit when you are at your best. And the third tip is do it daily. Do it daily. Proverbs 8.34 says, blessed is the man who listens to me, God says, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Ian Bounds said this, our praying, however, needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency which will not be denied and a courage which never fails. Does it... When you hear that, does it seem like it's a fight? This thing, us pursuing this quiet? Yes, it is a fight. It's a fight. Do you want to fight for your marriage? Fight for your quiet time first. That's how you win your marriage. Do you want to fight for your children? Do you want to fight for your country? Do you want to fight for those that don't know the Lord? Fight for your quiet time first. You will be able to lead better. You will be able to love better, have more patience because of your quiet time with the Lord. That doesn't mean that you're doing it. No, God is doing it through you, but you're surrendering yourself to God. Church, there's a close relationship, and I've said this before, between our intimacy with the Lord and our ability to love our wives like Jesus loved the church. There is, and men And I'm saying this to me first, men, the reality is that we are failing miserably at leading, at loving, because if we fail here, we fail absolutely everywhere. 
So knowing the Lord requires to cultivate an intimate relationship with him. This was our third point. For the next few moments, let's focus on our two verses in Philippians chapter three, verses 10 and 11. And it's pretty amazing because they show us the the components, the mechanism of how we get to know Christ. And there are three components that Apostle Paul mentions here. Let's look at the first one. And I'm just going to read the two verses again. They're beautiful, short, concise to the point. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So that first portion, that first component is this. This is what Apostle Paul says. To really know Christ requires knowing the power of his resurrection. You cannot know Christ unless you know the power of his resurrection. Paul came to know this power, the power of the resurrected Lord, when he was struck down on on the road of Damascus, right? Even though not all conversions, we said this, are as dramatic as Paul's. But all conversions, all of them, do require the same mighty power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you say that? Do you know why? Because they all require God to raise the sinner, that's us, from death to life, to spiritual life. And for that, you need God's God's intervention, God's power, God's Holy Spirit to do that. If you want to read more about that, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that beautifully. Now, this beautiful conversion coming from death to life is not a thing that can be accomplished through human persuasion or through a self-improvement program. This requires the same mighty power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, one of the most foundational things that we forget as Christians is that the same resurrected power, the Holy Spirit, is necessary not only to save us, but is necessary to what? To sustain us, to to help us, to support us, to support the believer as he walks in victory over the sin in his life as well. Don't we forget that? We forget that so much. In Romans 8, chapter uh, verse 11, Apostle Paul explains this, and I love this verse. And it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, did you hear that? He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. How amazing is that? So we experience this power as we walk moment by moment, surrendered to and in dependence on the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Church, if we live defeated lives, and my heart breaks that we sometimes live so defeated. We live with such a handicap. Why? Ovi, why? We are overpowered by lust and jealousy and greed and indifference and our idols. We're overpowered by all of these things. When God already made a provision, not to be perfect, not on this side of eternity, I get that but he made a way for us to live more in freedom from the slavery of our sinful addictions. He did. To live in freedom of the immorality that plagues our families. So if we live defeated lives, it's because, only one reason, 
because we are now living in dependence on the Holy Spirit who wants to grow us, who wants to change me in, in, in more like Christ is, right? To become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. So church, we have to, we must. This is an imperative. We need to learn to live experientially in the power of Christ's resurrection, not only to talk about it, So if we want to pursue this high call of knowing Jesus Christ, Summit Church, we have to live more and more in the freedom from the power of sin in our life. That's how we get to know him more, deeper, more intimate, by experiencing his resurrection power personally. Amen? The next component that Paul mentions about knowing Jesus is is that to really know Jesus Christ requires knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't write the Bible. I'm just preaching it. But this is such a tough, tough thing to take in. If we want to know, if we really want to know Jesus more intimately, Paul is kind of saying, man, you got to, there's a fellowship in his sufferings that you have to experience in your life. Let's unpack that a little bit. One of the most foundational things in Christianity, in our faith, is that our Savior came to suffer on the cross for our sins. Amen? We know that. His entire ministry was marked by misunderstanding, by opposition, betrayal, death. While we're never called to suffer in the same way, we're not called for that, that we suffer on a cross, right? That we, that's not what we're called to do. He already paid the full price in full, right? But there is a sense There's a sense in which we can never be like him. We can never know him intimately if we do not go through suffering. Hmm. But as we go through suffering in a healthy way, in a biblical way, in a God-honoring way, trusting that he's in control and that he is good and loving, there's a knowing of God that can never be experienced if we were just to coast through life without much suffering. There's something there. This is not an easy thing to, to preach on and to, and to accept. No, not too many churches are preaching this. Listen to what 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23 says. For to this you have been called. Who? All of us here. All of us here. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Check this out. So that you might follow in his steps. Sheesh. He committed no sin, neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, check this out, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He just trusted God. No, no, just gonna trust God in his sovereignty. Now also, Hebrews 5, 8, because I gotta bring this verse into our conversation, makes the startling statement that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, this does not mean that Jesus was disobedient. He was sinless. He was perfect, right? So it doesn't mean that Jesus was disobedient. He had to learn, you know, obedience through suffering. No, no, no. It means that he had never experienced the test of obedience until he suffered on the cross because that was the ultimate call of God and plan of God. So Jesus suffering for our sins on the cross was the ultimate test of submission to the will of the Father. As a side note, when everything goes well in our life, it's pretty easy to, to be obedient and to worship God, right? It's so easy to come to church and like, I love you, Jesus, and I put my hands up and I'm such a worshiper. But as soon as suffering hits, oh boy, 
oh boy, that changes completely. God, you're in it to just break me. How dare you? If we are like him, if we are to pursue knowing him in a more intimate way, we must also learn to obey God through suffering. Additionally, unlike Jesus, we have the powerful force of our sinful, corrupted nature to contend with and to fight against. Yes. And the reality is that God uses suffering to burn off the dross and to purify us. Thank God for that. But we have to cooperate with him by humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. When we go through trials, and in a way, this is what it means to be obedient, to surrender to him as we suffer, trusting in his sovereignty. God, you got this. I don't get it, but you got this. And then trusting that he's still good. God, I know that what's happening to me, it doesn't feel like it's good, but I trust that you're still good. So trusting in his sovereignty, trusting in his goodness over our suffering, and then casting all of our cares to him. That should be the right response to the suffering in our life. Now, the word fellowship, because there's a word fellowship here that we got to talk about. This verse points to close, this word points to closeness or intimacy. I don't think a lot, of our Ameri- a lot of us Americans know this sort of intimacy, but those who suffer because of their faith in Christ, especially know a special intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, we may have the privilege to know him in such an intimate way in the seasons to come. I don't know, but... That may be a possibility. But remember when the three young men were thrown in the fiery furnace for refusing to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's idol, right? We just went through Daniel last year, I think. So Daniel 3.25 tells us that there was not three men, but four walking in the fire. The fourth person was Jesus Christ who stood with them in their hour of trial. They knew the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a deeper way I don't, I don't know how, how to better, you know, present it. There's a deeper way in which we know him, church. There's a deeper way in which when we suffer, and not only when we just suffer, but when we suffer well, meaning suffering in obedience to God and trusting in his sovereignty and goodness, this is it. There's a deeper way in which we know God through suffering if we choose to suffer well. The next thing that Apostle Paul says in verse 10 is related to this fellowship that we're talking about. So he says to know Christ requires being conformed to his death. Oh, more dying and more suffering. Yeah. But this is the way that honors God. And whatever honors God is beneficial to us, church. So to know Christ requires, Apostle Paul says, being conformed to his death. What does that mean? Well, this phrase is related, like I said, to the fellowship of his sufferings, and it grows out of it. But it also has another dimension, that I, which the Bible describes in many other places. It's this idea of what? Denying yourself. Denying sin and denying yourself through the cross of Jesus Christ. You remember those passages, right? Jesus says in Mark 8, 34 to 36, check this out. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We could, you know, might as well say, if anyone wants to know me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Now, another way of saying denying yourself 
is not my will, but God's will be done. Not your will, but God's will be done. And check this out. And to fully accept his will. Oh, easier said than done, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing about our desires, our urges and surges that our flesh demands of us on a daily basis. And as long as we're in this body, we will need to exercise denying ourselves. If that means, that means that we should really be good at it, right? It's a daily responsibility, a daily conversation with the flesh. Hey, are you denying yourself right here? Are you, are you, is that, is that for Christ? Is that, are is that God's will right now, what you're doing? Is that God's will, what you're thinking right now? Are you denying yourself right now? But let me ask, why do we deny ourselves? Because we're noble people and we're like, wow, look at us. We're disciplined. We're, you know, no, because it's admirable. No, no, wrong answer. We deny ourselves because we are enamored and laser focused on Jesus and the gospel and with all that he's done for us and all that he's accomplished in us and the new life that he has for us now. And before you know it, we're living in this space called satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ. So what Apostle Paul is saying is that if we wanna know Jesus more intimately, church, we need to learn how to deny ourselves for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, last thing that Apostle Paul says about knowing Jesus is that to know Christ will be realized somehow in the resurrection from the dead. That's kind of the last verse, verse 11. There are a couple of interpretations for this verse 11, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into explaining all of them, but I believe that Paul is referring here to the future resurrection of the saints at the return of Christ, and that would be us. He's speaking about when our mortal bodies will be transformed into the likeness of Christ's resurrection body, free from all sin, and so much that goes with that, and, and how we're gonna then share in his glory throughout eternity. Super mind-blowing and exciting stuff, man. And by the way, just so we're clear, because the expression, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that can be very, like, what do you mean? What do you mean somehow, Paul? You're not sure? You're not sure of your salvation, Paul? You're not sure if you're going to make it? Well, that right there does not necessarily reflect uncertainty. It doesn't. Because we know with confidence that Paul was confident. He's absolutely certain about the future resurrection. I mean, I'll give you an example. First Corinthians 15, go and read it. He's got so, he's so confident about this. And, and this confidence and certainty is all over the Bible. It, it, church, we can be sure about our salvation because it's not us. It's not up to us. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And that will never change. So what he's referring to here is simply the manner in which he, he, he would get to the resurrection of the dead. Kind of like, am I, am I going to be, you know, am I going to be still alive when, when Christ returns or no? Like that's, that's what he was concerned about. That's it. So just wanted to make sure that, that that's clear because the Bible is very clear on our assurance of salvation. Therefore clear on the assurance of the resurrection of the saints when our Lord returns. Let's bring everything to a close here. We have a very high call church. We have a very important pursuit here. We have a goal, an ultimate goal and mission. And that mission is to pursue the high call of knowing Jesus Christ. Now you may be asking, well, this is very personal. All that you've talked about, 
very personal, but how do we do that as a church? How do we do that as, you know, together since this is our church, church mission? Excellent question. Well, in everything that we do, in our church services, in our evangelism, in our praying together, in our discipleship groups, in our fellowship, in our worship, what we did here this morning, in our, all of our conversations, in all of our churching, and through all of our churching, we are to encourage one another to pursue knowing God more. We are to keep each other accountable to pursue knowing Jesus more. And we are to challenge each other to pursue knowing our Lord more. And if we miss that target, church, like I said earlier, we stop, we reassess, and we get back to this quickly, humbly, and repentantly. And as new people are added to our number, and thank God that that's been going, that's been, that's been what's happening, we must encourage them, and we must challenge them as well, and we must keep them accountable to do the same. Let me summarize in closing by asking you a question. Have you ever noticed that when you buy a new car, you suddenly see that make of car everywhere? It's like, ah, oh, look, it's my car. Ah, oh, look, it's my car. Church, if we set before us each week this goal to know Christ, you will see opportunities all over the place to actually live it out and to apply it to your life. And specifically, because I want to be specific, we will definitely have temptations where you need, we need to rely on the power of his resurrection. And that's how we get to know more in that, in that moment, we rely on the power of his resurrection. Let's pursue that way of living so we get to know him more through it, amen? We will face trials, we will face trials where we, where we come to know the fellowship of his sufferings. So let's pursue the high call of knowing him through suffering as well. We will encounter irritations and frustrations. And I know I'll frustrate you and you'll frustrate me back. But where we must, we must learn to be more conformed to his death and learn how to deny ourselves because this life, it's for the gospel, for Jesus Christ, not for us. So let's pursue knowing God in this way as well. And church, let's view it all as an opportunity to know Jesus Christ and to, and, and to remind us that he is preparing us for that great, great day when he comes back and we will be raised up and we'll be raised up in glory with him for all eternity. That's our goal. So again, our mission is to pursue the high call, the summit of knowing Jesus Christ and proclaiming his kingdom. Would you stand with me? Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.